Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. We are super excited because today's episode is sponsored by BarkBox. As most of you guys know, my dog Mackie loves his chew toys, but they do not last very long in our house. And that's why we love our subscription service, BarkBox. BarkBox is a monthly subscription box that offers an array of theme boxes for your pup. Inside your box, you'll find toys, treats, and unleashed joy, thoughtfully designed to satisfy every dog's unique playstyle. BarkBox has several boxes to choose from, depending on your dog's needs, such as the Super Chewer box, which was designed to challenge and engage your pup for longer-lasting play. And that's what we need for Mackie. <laughs> right now, you can get a free extra month of BarkBox, which is up to a $35 value, by using our link, www.barkbox.com inhumanpod. So treat your dog to what they love with BarkBox www.barkbox.com slash inhuman pod for a extra free month of BarkBox. What's up, you guys? I'm Haley. And I'm Andrea. And this is Inhuman, a true crime podcast. two of John Bonet, which everybody has been messaging us and saying how excited they are for part two. So here it is. Here it is. Yeah. I have quite literally spent most of my day researching. Like I I had done a bunch of research before and then right. yesterday so we are recording this literally the night before this episode goes live. Like, this episode will be live in, like, 12 hours from when we're currently recording this. Yeah. And I, on Tuesday, did some, like, I did some research. And then on yesterday, Tuesday, right? Today's Wednesday? Yeah. Yesterday, I ended up not doing as much as I was, I had meant to. And today right. is my first day that, like, I'm off of work until the new year. So I was oh, like, nice. oh, I'll just like research today. And that's what I did. But I dove down so many rabbit holes. I found multiple podcasts about the case that I listened to on like one and a half times speed so I could get through all of them. <laughs> and it's totally my fault for leaving it to the last minute. But also like there's so many rabbit holes. So this is like quite yeah. literally been all I've thought about for the last like six, seven hours. So... I feel like you, like anyone could yeah. spend the rest of their life yeah. going down rabbit holes and just, yeah, because there's always new things, like, ha like people say new things and have new theories and yeah, yeah. It's crazy. And there was even something that I discovered that I didn't know that I like messaged Andrea about. I like voice messaged her in the middle of the day and I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I should wait to tell you this in the podcast and talk to you about this in the podcast. But like, I didn't know this and she knew it. So it wasn't, I guess I just hadn't heard that or didn't put two and two together. But it's we just, just, it's a lot. I did a deep dive of this case like 
somebody, one of the podcasts that I listened to, like, I think it might have been My Favorite Murder did, an, like, their first oh. year or two did, like, covered it. And I was like, but there was, like, something in it that triggered me to, like, look into it. Right. And then I just, you know, yeah. spiral. Yeah. And I remember reading what you had told me. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I think I said this in part one, but I've never really done a deep dive on this case. Like, I've listened to episodes about it and stuff like that, but I've never really researched yeah. it myself before this. So when I found that out, I was like, holy shit, Whoa. this is crazy. Yeah. So. Yeah, it is. it is. It is a very crazy, a very crazy case. And like. Yeah. It's just, it's so sad because there's like obviously no resolution and it's a, about a child and. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, but this year is the 25th anniversary, and there's already a ton of news articles that are popping up, so hopefully, you know, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that there will be resolution one day. Hopefully, kind of the 25th anniversary hype, if you want to call it that, will lead to something. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so, but after all these years, I just don't know. Yeah, you never know. But yeah, okay, we're just going to get into it. Um, I am going it. to try my best to make this just two parts. If it gets incredibly long, I'm going to split it up into three parts. But if that's the case, I'll, we'll release the third part the day after the second part's released. So we'll just get into it and try to make this two parts. I'll try not to ask too many questions or... <laughs> no, no, I think it's beneficial <laughs> when you do that. So okay. don't worry. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh my what? god. Look in your window. Is it Robert? I don't know. Is it? Oh my god. I just pooped. <laughs> <laughs> what the Okay. Fuck? I assumed that it was him, but at the same time, I was like, oh my god. There is a per. I don't know. I couldn't tell. I thought it was a person, and then I was like, maybe it's Mackie, but I was like, no, because that's her front yard. <laughs> oh, my God. I, like, couldn't see it in the, like, in my video on the Zoom, and I was too afraid to turn around. <laughs> yeah, no, you weren't turning around. You were like, <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, it was Robert, my fiance, flipping me off. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Oh, all right. All right. Thanks a lot, Rob. Thanks a lot. Literally terrified me. <laughs> I'm going to slap him for that later. All right. So, as we've said, this is part two of the Jean Benet Ramsey case, and we're going to really dive into the investigation and the theories. So, if you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to that first because I'm not going to cover any of the, like, what actually happened, the actual crime. Right. So we're going to start off by going through the first few years after Jean Benet's death and the investigation that happened. And we kind of talked about this in part one, but there were some errors made in the initial investigation. This included contaminating any potential evidence because multiple people were in the house that day before Jean Benet's body was found. There was also a lot of evidence that was shared with the Ramses that officials now believe should have been kept private for the integrity of the investigation. Yeah. So that's just something else that, like, a lot of it was shared. And you'll see a little bit later on kind of how things went with the DA's office. And, you know, it definitely, they weren't really seen as suspects. Um, And so, you know, that could have compromised the integrity of the investigation. Yeah. 
Boulder police have gotten a lot of scrutiny, and I would agree that they didn't do everything right. You know, they definitely let it become contaminated by not blocking off the whole house from the start. But one of the biggest criticisms for the Boulder Police Department comes from the Ramses, and they basically say how the Boulder Police believed from the start that the Ramses were at fault. And they say that they never questioned anyone else or they never, like, investigated anyone else. But that's actually not true. They had over 1,600 persons of interest. Wow. Yeah. And they looked at suspects from John's work, people involved in pageants and more. And I just want to point out, too, that they did a lot of this investigation before they even officially interviewed the Ramses. So they didn't interview the Ramses until four months officially, you know, and do an official police interview until four months after JonBenet's death. So in that time, they were doing a lot of investigation. So, you know, they might have had some sort of bias towards thinking it was the Ramses, but it's not like they didn't do other investigation. I feel like four months is a long time to investigate the parents, though, you know? Yeah, so, well, they didn't, the Ramses didn't interview with them until four months after her death. So it was more that on them. Yeah, oh. they... <clears throat> They didn't really come forward, and but they okay. did do, like, media interviews and stuff yeah, like that. I remember that. Yeah. And when they did come forward and interview and in their interviews over the next, like, year or so, their story did change. And, like, you know, they kind of told mm-hmm. an initial story and what they said happened when they still believed she was kidnapped changed to when they actually interviewed. So right. it's definitely interesting. And I was listening to one podcast episode about it. And I didn't write this down, so I can't remember exactly. But basically, they were saying that one of the detectives there that day after Jean Bonnet was found, they wanted to basically put the Ramses in separate rooms and interview yeah. them. But they didn't do that. Like, John Ramsey was like, no, we don't. We're not going to do that. We're going to stay with a family friend and whatever. And then they ended up going down to Atlanta to be with, like, family. Yeah. So it definitely, that's, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'm just going to leave it at that. (laughs) Okay. In March 1997, police headed out to the Ramsey's Michigan summer home for a second time. And this time they were there specifically looking for unrehearsed handwriting samples from Patsy because they wanted to determine if she could have written the ransom note. And they were wondering if the handwriting samples that she had given to them were purposefully modified so they were like trying to find something that wasn't coming from her specifically for the investigation after the fact right right yeah that makes sense but they weren't i don't think really able to find anything in early april 1997 some initial dna testing was done and on april 19th john benet's parents officially became the prime suspects according to the boulder police On April 30th, John was finally interviewed, and his interview lasted two hours, and Patsy's interview lasted over six hours. Wow. So the new statements that they made in these interviews basically replaced the original ones that they kind of made when she was kidnapped and right after the murder. Um, And like I said, they did kind of change, and we'll go more into that later. Okay. On May 14th, 1997, DNA testing results came back as, quote, no surprise, but they never really specified what that meant. I think it just meant that they didn't find anything suspicious. 
like they probably found everyone that lives there's DNA because she was in the home. Yeah. Nothing like crazy out of the ordinary. Right. And this is also still the 90s. So there's not as much, you know, DNA technology as we have today. Yeah. Right. In the summer of 1997, the Ramseys spent some time at their vacation home in Michigan. And after that, they moved out of their home in Boulder and returned down to Atlanta. On July 12, 1997, JonBenet's belongings were officially moved down to Atlanta, and there wasn't really much more movement that happened over the next six months. By October 1997, as I mentioned before, there were over 1,600 people that were considered persons of interest in the case. In the end of 97, police asked the parents to hand over clothes that they were wearing that night, but they didn't do so until January 29th, 1998. Okay, like, first of all, if I was a parent, I would have, and that happened to my family, I would have gotten rid of the clothes probably because I wouldn't want any memory of that, like any additional memories. But also, if they did keep them, chances are they've worn them, washed them, worn them, washed them, worn them, washed them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess blood, DNA, like... Well, and it's not just that, but, like, fibers from the clothes Mm. could match, and that wouldn't necessarily change. And we'll see that a little bit later on. Okay. So they turned in two shirts, a pair of pants, and a sweater. And Burke Ramsey was also officially questioned on June 10th, 1998. So he was, at that point, 11 years old, and nothing really major seemed to have come from that interview. Okay. So, eventually, the case file was handed over to the DA, Alex Hunter, and he hired Detective Lou Smith to assist the Boulder County DA's office with the case. So, Smith was a retired detective, and he basically came out of retirement for this, and he was pretty much going to be reinvestigating this entire case, but under the assumption that the Ramseys were innocent. So... The DA basically took this, the case file from the Boulder police and said, we think the Ramseys are innocent, so we're hiring this detective to look into it under kind of that assumption. Okay. I mean. Yeah. I could see that. Like, why you would want to do that. Yeah. In May 1998, Lou Smith's findings were presented to the Boulder police, and from his investigation, he basically concluded that no evidence pointed to the Ramses. So he was full on with the, there was an intruder, it was someone outside of the house, and that's what happened. Okay. Yeah. So it was pretty evident with all of this that the DA office, the DA's office was kind of trying to protect and support the Ramses while the Boulder police were trying to do a proper full investigation, which again, maybe they were a little biased to believing it was the Ramses, but on the other side of that, the DA's office was biased to doing the opposite. It wasn't. Yeah. yeah. So Um, The DA, Alex Hunter, he straight up even told a friend that he didn't believe the Ramseys did it, which, like, it's fine to have your own opinion, but you can't let that sway an investigation when you're in a position of power, like being the DA. So, just interesting. Yeah. Another interesting point here is that the people running the DA's office at the time of the murder 
were friends and former colleagues with John Ramsey's lawyer. Hmm. So just another reason that maybe there was some sort of, like, protection going on. Yeah, that shouldn't be allowed. <laughs> That's like, um, there's like a term for that, and I can't think of it off the top of my head, but... Like collusion? Yeah, that, that yeah. works. That works. Yeah, yeah definitely. So um, we're going to be going through some of Lou Smith's suspects that he looked at later on. And he actually ended up resigning from the investigation eventually because he basically was like, investigators are incompetently overlooking this intruder theory. So he resigned. And then wow. there was another detective that resigned for the other reason, basically, saying right. like, yeah, the opposite. Yeah. So because of the animosity between the police department and the DA's office, the Colorado governor, Roy Romer, named Michael Kane as special prosecutor to initiate a grand jury. So on March 12th, 1998, the grand jury investigation was called and they officially began in September 1998. They began hearing forensic evidence in October, and this grand jury hearing continued on for some time. In May 1999, Burke Ramsey was actually secretly questioned by the grand jury, and with that, he was officially declared as a witness only, not a suspect. Okay. JonBenet's half-siblings also testified as part of this grand jury investigation, even though they had been cleared in March 1997. But on October 13th, 1999, the district attorney declared there was not sufficient evidence to charge anyone in JonBenet's murder. So he came out and he said that the grand jury had completed its work and that no charges had been filed. He said, quote, I and my prosecution task force believe we do not have sufficient evidence to warrant the filing of charges against anyone who has been investigated at this time. So with this... The public pretty much assumed that the grand jury had dismissed the charges, and that's what I assumed when I first read this, but this was the big, like, bombshell that I found out that I didn't know. It was revealed years later that the grand jury had actually voted in 1999 to indict the parents. Mm -hmm. If you get a custom-tailored suit, it's going to fit perfectly and make you look great. Think about that with a Noble First for your organization. No matter what the size of your company is, a Noble First will analyze your data and collaborate with you to custom tailor digital solutions so you can focus on making your organization grow. When it comes to data-centric solutions specifically for your organization, choose a Noble First. A Noble First makes living simple. See for yourself at anoblefirst.com. E-N-N-O-B-L-E first.com. So... I didn't know this, but they had voted to indict the parents of child abuse resulting in death and as accessories to first-degree murder. So, <sighs> this, like, shocked me. Yeah. Um, I That's... had no clue because they the DA basically made it seem like no, they didn't they didn't want to file any charges, but that's not true. They right. did and the DA just decided to not file charges because that's what DAs can do. Right. And that's all in fine and good, but at the same time, like if they all voted on it, that seems like it's worth looking into a little more. Yeah. And that was the whole point of putting the grand jury together was because there was so much like discrepancy between yeah yeah, what the da thought and what the police thought 
But yeah. if the DA is going to have the final say in this, then what was What's the, the point? point? Yeah. Wasting everyone's time. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So let's talk about this a little bit. Okay. In October 2013, Judge J. Robert Lowenbach, 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 I think. B-A-C-H? Yeah. Yeah, Bach. Yeah. So he ordered the release of four pages of sealed documents from the grand jury investigation 13 years earlier. So it's basically two pages about John and two pages about Patsy. And they show that the jury sought to charge each parent with two identical counts. The grand jury alleged that Patsy and John did, quote, permit a child to be unreasonably unreasonably placed in a situation which posed a threat of injury to the child's life or health, which resulted in the death of JonBenet Ramsey. So they're not saying that they did that it. They did it. They're saying they put them in a situation that caused her death. Which is so interesting because what is that situation? Yeah. And we don't know. Yeah. They also said in this, you know, in what was released, that the parents both did, quote, render assistance to a person with intent to hinder, delay, and prevent the discovery, detention, apprehension, prosecution, conviction, and punishment of such person for the commission of a crime. So basically, this is like saying they almost kind of like they covered it up. Yeah, Yeah. But they didn't this at least the part of the court documents that we got, did not specify who that person was. Right. So, of course, with this, John, or the Ramsey's attorney, but by this point, Patsy had passed away. Um, His name was L. Lynn Wood, and he came forward saying that this part of the legal document said nothing about the evidence that was reviewed, and they basically said, we want the entire grand jury record to be released because they're saying, like, this is only part of it, but, like, I think the point of this was showing that the grand jury recommended something that the DA didn't follow through with. It's yeah. not that we need to know what led the grand jury to think that. I mean, that would be great, but either way, the grand jury determined this and the DA didn't go with it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it should have been looked into more. And also, did you say L. Wood? was the attorney <laughs> it's l <laughs> lynn wood but yeah <laughs> i was like wait a second i know okay <laughs> <laughs> so he also said that the grand jury didn't have some new dna evidence that came up in 2008 and that evidence actually led the da to exonerate the ramses so we'll talk about this in just a second but the lawyer is saying in this you know, when this grand jury happened, they didn't have some evidence that was later discovered. I would love to have been a fly on the wall in that grand jury room because they must have thought or saw or read something that led them to that. And that's huge, honestly. So after all of this came out, a Denver legal analyst basically said that a DA not endorsing a grand jury's charge is, quote, exceptionally rare. Yeah. So, and to be clear, the indictments show that a majority of the grand jurors felt there was probable cause to charge the parents. So this is different from saying... 
beyond a reasonable doubt they're guilty. This right. is saying we can charge them and that can go to trial for a full proper trial. We need more info, but we think yep. something, something's awry. Exactly. We need to investigate more, yeah. And it's crazy because these people, the people that were on that grand jury, are some of the only people in the world who have ever seen the full evidence for this case. And that just, like, blows my mind. And they just have to sit with it. They can't, like, talk about it. They can't. I would literally, like, fall apart. Yeah. Especially if, like, it was something major that could have, like, potentially cracked the case. And you have to go to your grave with that. Over a little child that was murdered. It's awful. I would like, I hope like one of them on their deathbed just says something. Yeah. Anyway. um, So, again, this doesn't say that they're guilty. They're basically just saying we want a trial to happen. But as we've said, the DA did not pursue the charges. And he made it seem to the public like the jury had not filed or, you know, wanted an indictment. And he didn't lie about anything. He didn't explicitly say anything, but he just didn't elaborate. So he left it because he couldn't lie because then he would be. Yeah. Yeah. Purged. Perjury. Yep. Yeah. So in 2002, a new Boulder County DA, Mary Lacey, came into office and she took over the investigation In April 2003, Lacey agreed with a federal judge that the evidence in the case was, quote, more consistent with a theory that an intruder murdered John Bonet than it was with a theory that Mrs. Ramsey did. So, on, so, like, she was basically already kind of on the same path as the last DA saying it was an intruder. And then on July 9th, 2008, the DA's office announced that as a result of newly developed DNA sampling and testing techniques, the Ramsey family members were excluded as suspects in the case. So with this, Lacey publicly exonerated the Ramseys. And that's the evidence that I was saying, you know, the lawyer said the grand jury didn't have. So let's, let's talk briefly about this new DNA evidence. Okay. So, obviously, over the years, DNA technology improves, and a lot came out about the potential evidence on JonBenet's body. And at first, most of it was just JonBenet's DNA, but as time went on, they found traces of other unidentified DNA. So, these are minuscule traces, and there have been at least six different people identified through this DNA. And these aren't, all of these six people are not family members and they are both male and female. Okay. However, this does not prove or disprove that the Ramseys could be involved according to experts. Right. So the Ramseys have used this to say they aren't involved, but experts say that unless you are basically willing to accept that six people could have been involved in JonBenet's death, you can't use this DNA evidence as anything of value. That seems unlikely. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. The quantity of the DNA is so small, it's impossible to know how or when any of these foreign DNA traces got there. So, realistically, it doesn't prove or disprove anything. It's just another fact. 
in yeah. the case. Yeah. Yep. In 2015, the Boulder Police Chief Mark Beckner stated that he disagreed with the exoneration of the Ramses. He said, quote, exonerating anyone based on a small piece of evidence that has not yet been proven to even be connected to the crime is abs- is absurd. So he's saying the unknown DNA from JonBenet's clothing, that should be the focus of the investigation, but it doesn't prove that anyone is or isn't involved. Yeah, because they had, like, I mean, I know that they had all those people in and out of their house before they found her. So chances are, like, no one, like, found her body and then just left and was like, oh. But I don't know. It's just, like. Well, it's also, like, the the DNA was found on, like, clothing and stuff. Like, on JonBenet's clothing. So it's, like, it could be from a store or from somebody else that touched it. Like, it could literally be from anything because it was such small, minuscule traces. It could literally be from anything. It's not like Like there was... Yeah. Yeah. It's not like there was blood found that for sure is linked to somebody else. Or bodily fluid or something. Exactly. Yeah. So a former Boulder DA investigator named Gordon Combs, or Coombs, I'm not sure, he also questioned the full exoneration of the Ramses, saying, quote, we all shed DNA all the time within our skin cells. It can be deposited anywhere at any time for various reasons, including reasons that are benign. So to clear somebody just on the premise of this touch DNA, especially when you have a situation where, like you said, the crime scene wasn't secure since the beginning is really a stretch. So more and more people are coming out saying this, you know, tons of the subsequent DAs, the just different experts and stuff are all saying Mary Lacey should not have publicly exonerated the Ramseys based on this evidence. No, absolutely not. Yeah. So the case pretty much went cold after this exoneration came out, but in October 2010, the Boulder police officially did reopen the case. And in September 2016, it was officially reported that the investigation into John Bonet's death continues to be an active homicide case. And the same thing is true today. Yes. So just a few, like, kind of random things I want to share before we dive into the theories. First of all, in March 2000, the Ramseys published a book called The Death of Innocence that detailed their daughter's murder. And then in May of that year, they held a press conference and they claimed in this press conference that lie detector tests confirmed that they were innocent. But the test, whatever lie detector test they took was not run by the FBI. So it's like already it wasn't like run by an official you know entity and then on top of that it's a lie detector test like yeah they're not in, yeah no and you took it years later like no yeah when you've had time to like calm down a little bit about it and not be yeah. like so ugh, you know mm-hmm. and then um unfortunately on june 24th 2006 at 49 years old patsy ramsey passed away of ovarian cancer She had been diagnosed back in 1993, so she had been fighting this for a long time, and it unfortunately took her life in 2006, and she was buried next to her daughter in Georgia. Okay, so we're going to just get into the theories now, and there is, like, a lot. This is where I was, like, (laughs) 
these yeah this is the rabbit hole that i went down all day today so yeah so there's kind of two major theory groups there's the intruder theory and then the family theory so i'm sure you can kind of tell all All alleged alleged. yeah everything is uh nothing has ever been proven or nobody has ever officially been charged so right um so i'm sure you can kind of tell what each of those are in a general sense, Mm -hmm. but there are tons of details and other evidence that I'll talk about, so let's just go. We're first going to walk through the intruder theories, so theories and suspects that were not related to JonBenet. Okay. So Lou Smith, who I mentioned earlier, was one of the main investigators pushing that it was someone outside of the home who killed JonBenet. And he sadly passed away in 2010, but by the time he passed, he had a definitive list of suspects that he had gathered from interviews, evidence, etc. And he told his daughter, I believe that the killer is on this list. Okay. So let's go through them. First up, we have Santa Claus. Um, If you've heard this case before, you've probably heard about the man who played Santa Claus. His name is Bill McReynolds, and he was investigated since he had interacted with John Bonet before her death. So he was actually hired by Patsy to play Santa Claus at the family's Christmas parties in both 1995 and 96, and he became somewhat close with John Bonet. He told the Denver Post that when he first met John Bonet, he was struck by her smile, which I think is just like, dude. Yeah. Like she's six. Like, like no. she's there's a way to say that without saying it like that Mm -hmm. because she was Mm -hmm. a a very beautiful little girl and i guess like with all the makeup and all the you know hoopla she was striking but um but you're a probably a old man and that's uh, no no gross unacceptable He also talked about how JonBenet had given him a vial of gold glitter that she called fairy dust that he used as good luck. So just like kind of all of this, people a were like... A vial? I know. That's vile. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But, Come on, dude. But yeah, basically like just because of this, it kind of like people were suspicious of him. So both Bill and his wife Janet were questioned after the murder And it was discovered that years ago, on December 26th, 1974, his nine-year-old daughter and her friend were actually kidnapped. So the daughter had witnessed the sexual abuse of the friend by the kidnapper, and thankfully the daughter wasn't violated and they were both returned, but obviously she was traumatized by this, and... This made a lot of people question McReynolds' involvement because of all the similarities between what happened to Jean Benet and what happened to his daughter. Okay. That's really interesting. Okay, I've never I've never heard this theory before and that's really interesting. I don't think that necessarily like makes him guilty because that happened. Yeah. But it is very coincidental. It's sure. very coincidental that it was the same day december 26th or you know time of year 25th 26th right and that it another reason people found this interesting was that his daughter wasn't the one that was abused it was the friend so a lot of people were like could it have been him and that's why the daughter wasn't abused and then did he do the same thing to jean benet 
Yeah. That was kind of the theory. Because they, they never caught the perpetrator, I guess? I guess not, yeah. Okay. Also, hmm. his wife, Janet, wrote a play about a little girl that was murdered in her basement. So, just another before? weird... Before the... Before uh, yeah. Domine's death? Oh. I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why? So, definitely... Okay. Interesting. So... Despite all of this weird, like, similarities and stuff, all of this with the McReynolds turned out to just be a coincidence. Bill and Janet both submitted hair, handwriting, and blood samples, and they were officially cleared of any involvement in the crime. I think at this point, we can't say that anyone is fully 100% cleared, but as far as, like, the police's investigation, they were cleared. Okay. Okay. It was also discovered that Bill had had heart surgery before the murder, so he probably, like, most likely would have been too weak to be able to commit the crime. Okay. But he was not too weak to be Santa. Yeah, but, you know, okay. San- you like, just Santa there. versus, like, murdering someone is a little different. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, Bill maintained his innocence through when he died in 2002, so he never uh, varied from that. Okay. Wavered from that. That's the word I meant to use. Wavered. Okay. I couldn't think of that Wait. word. <laughs> so chances are we can probably rule yeah. him out. Yeah. Yeah. Next up, we have Gary Oliv- Oliva. Oh, oh God. Oliva. Oliva. Shoot. I forget how to say this. I think it's Oliva. Okay. I want to say Olivia, but it's not Olivia. It only has one eye. <laughs> okay. Gary. He was a known sex offender in Boulder, and allegedly he had a shrine in his apartment for Jean Benet, and he was arrested in 2002 for, or in 2000 for drug charges, and when he was arrested, police allegedly found a magazine cutout of Jean Benet's photo in his backpack. So just, like, kind of creepy. Yeah, I mean, it is, but I feel like there was probably a lot of people that had shrines, yeah. and I mean, granted, he was a, a child molester, yeah. so that brings yeah. a different element to it, but... Exactly. On top of this, though, a friend of his named Michael Vale, he came forward and said that not long after Jean Benet's murder, Olivia... Olive, Gary <laughs> called him saying, quote, I hurt a little girl. So... Vail recalled that, and he also said how similar the knots used in John Bonet's case were to an incident where Gary had attempted to choke his mother with a phone cord. Ew. Yeah. And then one reporter claimed that she went to speak with Gary in jail, and he said that he'd only speak with her if she brought a photo of John Bonet for him. Yeah, I've heard about this guy. Yeah, so it's just, like, kind of this weird obsession, but he was also cleared because his DNA did not match anything found on Jean Benet. But again... That was my next question, yeah. Was his one of the... Yeah. No DNA matched. You know, of course they tested it, but, you know, that doesn't fully exclude him because we don't know. Right. But... Maybe, probably, more than likely, just a sick pervert who got obsessed with yes a case about a little girl and mm, so nasty. Okay, the third one is super interesting. I hadn't remembered this guy 
I'm sure that he was included in, you know, other episodes I lo- I've listen- listened to, but I hadn't heard of him, I, or I couldn't remember. Okay. So his name is Michael Helgoth, and he was an electrician that worked in a nearby mm. auto salvage yard, and he was apparently tied to a property dispute that involved the Ramses. So okay. this belie- is believed to be his potential motive. A friend of his also claimed that they believed that he killed John Bonet. So what's super interesting about that this is two days after a 1997 press conference where the DA announced that they were zeroing in on a new suspect and basically the DA was like, we're going to find you. Two days after this, Helgoth was found dead before oh. anyone could speak to him. And officially, his death was ruled a suicide, but a lot of people believe that he could have been murdered. But either way, it's super interesting, because either way, it's like, the DA says, whoever you are, we're we're zeroing in on you, we're going to find you, and then he commits suicide, or he's murdered by somebody else to protect something. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Was it he was murdered to protect someone else? Right. We don't know interesting yeah what was the do you know what the cause of death was like it was a gunshot, gunshot. wound okay but what was interesting was it was to the torso which just isn't common for yeah. suicide and then there no. were some other things that were found in his apartment that led people to believe it wasn't a suicide but officially it was ruled a suicide okay and his dna also did not match anything again we don't necessarily have a full DNA profile, so that doesn't right. mean it it doesn't for sure, but he was officially cleared through DNA. Okay. In 2006, another man actually full-on confessed to Jean Benet's murder. John Mark Carr was a former school teacher who had been living in Thailand after facing child pornography charges in the United States. And he had reached out to a University of Colorado Boulder professor named Michael Tracy. Tracy had been working on a documentary about Jean Benet and the whole case. And so Carr reached out to him, but soon his emails revealed that he had a sexual fascination with Jean Benet. Ew. Yeah. So Tracy reported Carr, and he was found and arrested in Thailand and brought back to Boulder for questioning. Out of the blue, he confessed. He said he had strangled Jean Benet, and he confessed in graphic detail to a sexual assault and the murder. And I think we kind of talked about this with the autopsy, but they've never fully been able to determine that for sure sexual assault happened. But there was some evidence in Jean Benet's genital area that something, whether it be sexual or physical trauma, Right, right. So this man confessed, said he sexually assaulted and murdered Jean Benet. He also had a series of diary entries that he allegedly wrote from the crime scene in which he claimed that Jean Benet died in, quote, a love game gone wrong. And that is all I'm going to say because (sighs) when I was reading this, I literally was about to vomit because it was so fucking creepy and disgusting. But it, it, kind of children don't play love games yeah 
You're and sick it kind of sounds like this guy had kind of like the last guy, just like this fascination, obsession with her, and he came up with this whole story. A lot of people did. I mean, not yeah. necessarily sexual, but like men, women. I mean, yeah. lots of people became obsessed with this case and yeah. with John Bonet, and it's it's insane. I mean, I could see like getting, you know quote-unquote obsessed with like the case and wanting to find yeah. out like, who who done it yeah but, but not like creepily obsessed with her no not with her because like that's no, that's gross so weird so mm. so yeah Carr was just very creepy but his confession was ultimately discovered to be false detectives were well they just figured out he was lying but they were also able or unable to prove that he was actually even in Boulder at the time of the murder. Okay. So with that, and then his DNA did not match, he was officially cleared. Okay. Okay, next we have the family's housekeeper, Linda Hoffman. Her husband, Mervyn, was also the Ramsey's handyman. So, you know, they were very, they were at the house a lot, and she was known to carry a key to the home. Mm-hmm. During the investigation, she was not quiet about her suspicions that Patsy killed John Bonet. And with that, Patsy came and claimed to investigators that she had that Hoffman was struggling for money and had asked for a loan of several thousand dollars, which which Patsy declined to give her. So this theory about her alleges that she brought JonBenet down to the basement to try to get this, you know, some ransom money from the Ramses because she was struggling financially. And this also says that she could have known John's Christmas bonus amount because she was close to the family. And she also would have known the family's schedule and what their home was like. So it would have been easy for her to, to do something like this, allegedly. She did not have an alibi because she was at home asleep in bed. So she didn't, you know, there was no, like, real alibi. Right. Um, But she gave her fingerprints and handwriting samples and none of that matched. And she even testified in front of the grand jury for a total of eight hours. Wow. And she's never been formally accused. And it seems like a lot of the reason people speculated about her was because of what Patsy was saying because Patsy was angry that she was saying that Patsy could be involved. And that doesn't make you a killer just because you want money and you didn't get it from somebody like, yeah. And you're talking smack about the mom being. Yeah. Potentially the one. It kind of seems like she, the housekeeper was, was, not afraid to voice her opinion that Patsy was involved. Patsy got angry, said this stuff Retaliated, about her, and that's yeah. why people speculate. Exactly. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. So as I mentioned in part one, the ransom note was a very specific amount of money. And, or the, you know, the, the money that was requested in the ransom note. Yeah. And this was the same amount, or almost the exact same amount, that John Ramsey had received as a Christmas bonus the year before. So investigators did look into, and especially Lou Smith, looked into if there was maybe a business associate of John's that may have been involved. And it was discovered that John Ramsey's 1995 Christmas bonus that was paid out to him in February 96 was in the amount of $118,117.50. So, it was 
Wow. Exactly that amount. And this was listed on every pay stub that he received from February 96 going forward. So somebody at work could have seen that, but also if somebody was in the Ramsey's home and they saw, they found like the pay stubs, they would have known the amount. So this really like opened it up to anybody could have known this. Yeah. But there were two people that Lou Smith identified as potential suspects since they had business grudges against John. The first was a man who has never been publicly named, but apparently his company had gone bankrupt due to competition from John's company. So it doesn't seem like he's been like fully cleared by investigators. It, you know, there's no reports of any DNA or handwriting testing or anything done on him. And he also apparently had some molestation accusations against him. What in the world? But in an interview, he claimed that those were false charges from his ex-wife who had coached his daughters to accuse him. And in court and stuff, he was cleared of those charges. And he claimed that, you know, he has nothing to hide. He didn't do that. And they there's never been any real connection made between him and JonBenet's murder. Okay. Next up, we have a previously fired employee named Sandra Henderson. So John had fired Sandra after she was caught embezzling money. Hmm. So according to this podcast that I listened to called The Killing of John Bonet, The Final Suspects, which is awesome if you want to hear all the details about like the intruder theory, they basically go through all of Lou Smith's suspects. Okay. So according to this podcast, Sandra was the ops manager of Henderson Technology, and they were ordering equipment from Access Access Graphics, John's company. In 1991, Access Graphics discovered that they were owed $145,000 by Henderson Tech, but Bud Henderson, Sandra's husband, claimed to be unaware of the unpaid invoices, even though his signature was on them. Okay. (laughs) So he claimed that his wife, Sandra, must have forged his signature, and it was later discovered that Sandra had tried to go in and alter the Henderson Tech account at Access Graphics to basically remove the unpaid balance. So after Mm. John Ramsey discovered this, he fired her, and it ended up getting kind of messy with, like, legal filings and outstanding balances. But Sandra eventually went to another company did the same thing, and was arrested. Wow. So she definitely (laughs) did it. Um, But it's believed by some that Sandra, after she was fired, and then she ended up getting divorced from her husband, not necessarily just because of this, but this definitely didn't help. Yeah. Some people believe that Sandra had felt that John had ruined her life, so this could potentially become a motive. Hmm. The Hendersons became one of the main suspects on Lou Smith's list, but after investigating, the Boulder police did declare that the Hendersons were not suspects. Yeah, I mean, again, just because all of those facts doesn't mean that you're a killer, doesn't make you a killer. Especially if there's no, like, evidence nothing pointing yeah yeah it's all like circumstantial not even circumstantial it's it's hearsay it's an opinion it's a theory a a very stretched theory Mm -hmm. 
So the last group of suspects I just want to briefly mention is people who may have watched John Bonet at pageants. So as we talked about in part one, John Bonet did beauty pageants as a young girl, and investigators have looked into anyone who may have been there inappropriately watching these girls at the pageants. Mm. No one has ever officially been linked to, like, being at the pageants and matching DNA. No one's ever been charged. But this theory is still one that a lot of people believe could be true. Which, you know, I don't fully disagree with. That's definitely very true. But nothing has ever been proven. Okay. We are now going to talk about the family theory. First, (laughs) I'm going to go through what I'm calling the staging theory. And I got this terminology from that podcast I mentioned, and I'll link it in the show notes because it's really good. Basically, this theory says that something happened inside the home and someone staged a scene to cover it up. Okay. Before we get into this, though, we need to discuss some points of the investigation and some evidence that I haven't mentioned yet. As I briefly mentioned, the Ramsey story changed from what they initially said to what they said in official interviews. What... What were the... De- are you going to go over yeah, that? Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I was going to ask it earlier and I forgot. Now I'm like, I yeah. need to know because I don't re- remember. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't mention er- it earlier because I wanted to include it here because it okay. more directly relates here. Gotcha. So at first, they said that they came home and did some things. Uh, John said he put a toy together for Burke and they, you know, were awake and then they put the kids to bed. But later... And what they continued to claim from the second or the official interviews forward was that Jean Bonnet fell asleep on the way home from the Christmas party that night and that they brought her straight up to bed. I'm remembering this now. Okay. Yep. Patsy also initially said that Jean Bonnet had been in like red pajamas, but when she was found, she was in the white shirt that she had been wearing at the party. And she also still had jewelry on her, and her hair was still tied up in the same ponytail holder that she had been wearing at the party. The other thing with this is that the pineapple that was found in JonBenet's stomach, the point of digestion it was at, proves that she had to have eaten it after the party. Right. So, that's one thing, is that this story doesn't really match the evidence that was found. So this staging theory tells a whole story. Basically, Jean Bonnet came home awake, whether or not she fell asleep and then woke back up or not, but she was definitely awake, probably ate some pineapple, and then some type, something happened, some type of sexual or physical assault and possibly manual strangulation happened that led to an altercation where she somehow got hit on the head. That hit on the head left her either brain dead or very close to brain dead. God. Yeah. But then because of marks on her neck and face from this manual strangulation, as well as the indication of some sort of assault, it couldn't just look like an accident. So they Mm -hmm. staged a scene. Her genitals were wiped clean to hopefully disguise the assault. And the makeshift garrote was created to make it look like a kidnapping gone wrong. So a couple things with this. The way that the cord was tightened around her neck, that wouldn't normally immediately kill her. Mm-hmm. But because she already had a head injury, it could have. Because when you have a head injury, you already don't have as much oxygen. 
And yeah. then this not, you know, this doesn't have to be fully tightened to kill her. Also supporting this theory is the fact that the nylon cord around her wrists was actually loose enough for her to slip her wrists out. So investigators believe that that was only put around her wrist to make it look like a kidnapping. Also supporting this theory and what I personally find the most compelling is the clothing that JonBenet was wearing. Mm -hmm. So JonBenet's pants and underwear from the night from the party were actually found strewn on the floor of her room as if she had began to undress. When she was found, as I mentioned, she was still wearing the shirt that she wore to the party and the clothing on her lower half seemed to be taken from the bottom floors of the house. So first of all, the underwear she was wearing were several sizes too big and Patsy had later claimed that they had been purchased as a Christmas present for a family member. And guess where the family kept their Christmas presents? In the basement? Yep. Not just in the basement, in that room where JonBenet was found, which they called the cellar. Okay. So this staging theory says that grabbing those underwear was a quick attempt to cover up whatever assault happened. And they, you know, they were just there, accessible, grabbed them. Grabbed them, yeah. The long johns that JonBenet was wearing were boys' long johns that were a bit too small for her. And they had allegedly been Burks, and they were actually pretty worn out. In one of the photographs, and this is this next thing that I'm going to say is purely speculative, but I think it's really interesting. Okay. One of the photographs taken on December 26th in the house showed a plastic bag on the spiral staircase. And it's believed that the bag may have contained old clothes that the family was planning to donate. So maybe these long johns were grabbed from that bag and put on John Bonet, again, attempting to disguise some sort of assault. Okay. So this all points to the fact that someone in this, inside the house had staged the scene. But we still don't know who. As I mentioned in part one, fingerprints on the ransom note only came from Patsy and authorities that were there that day, but that can't really lead to anything definitive since, you know, in the morning, it was believed that she was kidnapped. Right. There also were no conclusive findings from fingerprints on the garrote or on the nylon rope. So... Now we're going to break down if John, Patsy, or Burke could have been the murderer inside the house. And before we get into this, I just want to again mention everything I'm sharing here is alleged. I'm not accusing anyone in any form. This is all just alleged information and mine and Andrea's opinions. Okay. So first up, let's talk about Patsy. She has widely been believed to be JonBenet's killer, and she has been the Boulder Police Department and the FBI's main suspect for a lot of the investigation. She was the last one to see JonBenet alive, and she was the one who found the ransom note. She's also the only one that has been able to be linked to any of the evidence. First of all, the handwriting samples that she gave could not be matched to the ransom note, but they also could not be not matched. They were never able able to, like, definitively say it was not Patsy as they were with John. Yeah. 
As I just mentioned, fingerprints were never found on anything related to JonBenet's murder. But fiber evidence does point to Patsy. So if you remember, I said earlier that that eventually Patsy and John turned over their clothes from that night. Fibers from Patsy's jacket that she wore that night were linked to several pieces of key evidence. So this included the tub where the paintbrush that formed the garrote was taken, mm-hmm. the duct tape, they found fibers tied into the nylon rope, and they found fibers on the floor of the room where Jean Penet was found. So, Patsy's initial explanation of this was that she had bent down to, like, hug and grab Jean Benet after she was found, but that morning she was not wearing that jacket that had the fibers that matched. She even initially claimed that on the night of the 25th, she was wearing a different sweater, not the one that matched, but photos from the Christmas party proved she was wearing the sweater that matched the fibers. And didn't John bring her body upstairs and she wasn't even there? It was just him and the investigator? So he did, but then, a, like, Patsy came into the room and, like, jumped on top of her and, like, grabbed her. In the basement still? No, upstairs. Okay. So that wouldn't explain why the fibers were in the basement unless she went down there for whatever other reason that night. And right. it also wouldn't explain the duct tape because the one thing John did do was rip off the duct tape and leave it downstairs in right. the basement. So, you know, you could say that all of this stuff was in Patsy Ramsey's home. So it could have been something that, you know, it got in all these places just because it was in her home and all these things came from her home. But it being on that much of the, like, compelling evidence that was used. Yeah. Like, these aren't things that you use every day that she could have gotten on any normal day. Like, a paintbrush, duct tape nylon rope like no and this is like complete speculation complete speculation but i envision her probably purchasing a new christmas outfit maybe something she's never even potentially worn obviously this is not proven at all but this is just where my mind went yeah Um, that's a good point you know because like i mean i don't always buy a new christmas outfit but sometimes i do yeah, that's and a really good point. you wear it on Christmas, and yep. chances are she may have potentially done that. Again, yep. all speculation, but but something special probably that she would yeah. only wear on Christmas. On Christmas. And I just find it like this jacket, sweater that you were wearing, for that, for fibers from that to be found on duct tape, paintbrushes, nylon rope, and the basement floor, that you doesn't know. seem like a coincidence to me. A very huge one, if so. A yes. very, very huge one. So this obviously doesn't actually prove that Patsy killed John Bonet, but it is very compelling. Mm-hmm. So the theory behind Patsy killing her daughter is that, you know, what most people believe is that she had gotten angry and accidentally killed John Bonet. So one of the theories that I personally find the most interesting, and until today... I hadn't really thought about this as much, but I now pretty much think that this is what happened. Not not fully, but like half of me thinks this is what happened or something related to this. So Jean Benet was known to be a bedwetter. 
So one theory was that she had wet the bed that night mm-hmm. and Patsy had become angry, you know, slammed her head against something accidentally. And then once she realized that she had died, she staged the strangulation. So JonBenet's bottoms were found wet, but the bed sheets were not found wet at all. There were also fibers from her pajamas that she wore that night on the bed sheets. So this indicated that, you know, they hadn't been washed. So maybe the bedwetting was even potentially staged. Hmm. Now, what's super interesting about this to me, and I don't necessarily think that she wet the bed that night, but the Ramsey's housekeeper revealed that on multiple occasions, she had seen Patsy punish John Bonet for bedwetting and for like not being fully potty trained, even though she was six years old. So this could potentially explain the injuries that John Bonet had on her genital area. As I mentioned earlier, it was never proven if it was sexual abuse or sexual assault. And that's why I kept saying the evidence of abuse because it maybe wasn't sexual abuse. It could have been physical abuse of potentially wiping Jean Benet too harshly after getting angry that she wet the bed or didn't potty train or something like that. Yep. And I don't know if you knew this, but a lot of um, like child psychologists and specialists have linked older bedwetting to abuse oh that's interesting now it can be both sexual and physical abuse right There's, they're they're not um uh mutually exclusive no that's not yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um so okay so yeah that's and always, if she that's was like always traumatized yeah. for not being able to like go to the bathroom or like whatever hold it in like if she wasn't fully potty trained and not ready to like be potty trained and she might have been traumatized with that and then like wet the bed because of that Mm -hmm. definitely could be happening so some of the injuries that john benet had in her genital area according to multiple doctors who examined her body indicated that prior injuries had happened there up to 10 days before she was murdered So, again, this could be some type of physical abuse, even if it it was, like, inadvertent, even if it wasn't, like, intentionally trying to hurt her, but just being angry that she wet the bed or whatever. Like you said, like, like, aggressively wiping her. Yeah. And there have, there were reports from people that said that Jean Benet, at six years old, would still ask adults to wipe her, which apparently is, like, on the older side for that um yeah i mean by six most children can wipe like fully wipe themselves now i will say like sometimes kids are still learning to wipe themselves well right as far as like the backside goes like yeah the front you should have that down by six i would think but some kids are you know they still need help getting it completely clean and they may need your help right at at six even still kind of pushing it but you know yeah Uh, it's like that along with all the other stuff though 
and knowing that yeah. Patsy was like would get angry at the bedwetting and all of that, which is so sad. Like I know, I cannot. Manny wet the bed the other night because we decided to stop doing pull ups at night, right? And which I was not on board with, but Matt <laughs> was like, "Let's give it a go," and he peed in his sleep because you actually that's what have, they're used to. And yeah, you have a chemical in your brain or hormone in your brain, one or the other, I can't remember, that develops as you mature and you stop wetting the bed, you stop wetting yourself in the night and your body wakes up to go to the bathroom. Right. And some children develop it sooner, some children develop it later, but usually by six, I would think it would be developed, developed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, so definitely interesting, and at the very end, I'll, like, explain my full theory on it, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. One other thing I want to mention here, Detective Linda Arndt, which was the detective that was at the house that morning, noted how Patsy had been wearing makeup that morning, which she found weird because, one, it was super early. You claimed you got up at 5.30 and found this ransom note. Why are you wearing makeup? And two, your daughter was missing. So when did you have time to go put makeup on? She didn't. She never took it off. (laughs) That's, yep, that's one thing. To play devil's advocate, she could have gone to bed in it. Also, she was such a, like, she cared so much about her image that maybe that was something she did. I don't know. But just wanted to bring that up. Like Jodi Arias? (laughs) Yeah. Obviously very different, but... (laughs) Yeah. All right, so next we'll talk about if John could have been John JonBenet's killer. Um, Linda Arndt, again, she believed that John killed JonBenet. She said on national television, I saw it in John's eyes that day that he was the killer. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, since he is the one who found JonBenet, he is, he's like, to a lot of people, very suspicious. Um, one thing is he had been asked to search the house top to bottom by Linda and he started down in the basement and he pretty much like immediately went to the spot where Jean Bonnet was. So a lot of people were like, why the heck did you know to go there? But again, to be fair, you maybe decide to start in the basement and you're going to like open all the doors. You know, it doesn't necessarily prove anything. No. Um, nothing was ever proven with John, and there's never been any definitive forensic evidence to link John to JonBenet's murder. Okay. All right. Finally, we're going to talk about Burke Ramsey. And I want to say again, I'm not accusing him. This is all alleged. I'm just sharing... What you've researched what and I've gathered. Researched. Yes. Yeah. So as a reminder, Burke was nine years old at the time of the murder, and he was interviewed a few times afterwards. His parents had claimed that he was asleep all night and that he didn't come out of, well, and we know he didn't come out of his room that morning until authorities were there. Now, in 2016, a CBS documentary called The Case of JonBenet Ramsey aired, and they basically straight up accused Burke Ramsey of killing his sister. This is when that theory that he did it really kind of took storm. And this theory basically revolves around saying that Burke killed John Bonet probably accidentally and that his parents wanting to protect their remaining child ended up covering it up. First of all, there's a very weak forensic case tying Burke to the killing. You know, there's really nothing that has been found to link him to it. 
Now, in that CBS documentary, a family friend of the Ramseys named Judith Phillips claimed that Burke had a bad temper and that he had actually hit John Bonet with a golf club in the yard before yeah. the murder. Now, Phillips claimed that she learned this when Patsy told her. So she did not witness this firsthand. And on top of that, she only met Burke a handful of times. So she wouldn't have necessarily known what his temper what was his, like. Yeah, his temperament was, right. Patsy and Burke both claimed that this hit was like an accidental hit when John Bonet was like unexpectedly standing behind him and he was swinging a bat. So, you know, they say it wasn't like intentional. And also, despite this account from the one family friend, nannies and neighbors of the Ramses claim that Burke was a well-behaved kid. Now, Burke's story actually remained really consistent over the years. The morning JonBenet went missing, he was actually removed from the home and went to a family friend's house really early that morning before JonBenet's body was even found. So he didn't even know that his sister had been killed. And according to the detective that interviewed or talked to Burke that day, Burke appeared to have no idea that his sister was dead and didn't really seem to comprehend the seriousness of what was going on, which would make sense for a nine-year-old child. Right, exactly. A child psychologist that interviewed Burke concluded that she did not believe that Burke had witnessed the murder based on, you know, how he described what happened. She just didn't believe it. Okay. Now, some audio enhancements of Patsy's 911 call that morning claimed to hear Burke's voice on the call, which would contradict Patsy's story that Burke was asleep all morning. I have listened to this. I don't hear it. I, I just really don't. You know, on the CBS documentary, they were like, oh, yeah, I hear it. I don't there personally it is. hear yeah. it. Uh -huh. um, and it's never been, like, proven. Okay. And then the pineapple, which I think is one of the things that people talk about the most in this case, especially in relation to Burke. So Burke's fingerprints were found on the inside of the bowl, as were Patsy's, and his fingerprints were also found on a glass next to the bowl. So people who believe that Burke did it say that John Bonet may have tried to take some of the pineapple that Burke was eating, and he got angry and accidentally killed her. But we don't even know for sure when that pineapple was put in the bowl. Like, it's very possible that the pineapple had been eaten for lunch and it was just left out. And then at night, JonBenet, like, grabbed some when they got home on her way upstairs. Right. It's it's just not proven that he was even eating it that night. And he says he doesn't remember yeah. eating it. And his fingerprint could have been transferred at any point. I mean, he could have re reached up to grab a bowl Touched yeah. that bowl and then got the bowl that he, you know, wanted to get. I mean. Exactly. He lived there. <laughs> yeah. So despite all of this, Boulder police have shared on more than one occasion that Burke is not a suspect in John Bonet's murder. And to be honest, before doing the research for this case, I was pretty on board that Burke was the one that killed John Bonet. But I really don't think so anymore, personally. All right, a couple more things to close this out, and then we'll discuss our what we think. So as the 25th anniversary of John Bonet's death is approaching in just a few days, police say that they are still determined to find her killer. In a statement made earlier this week, the Boulder Police Department said they have been working closely with state investigators on new DNA advancements. 
In this statement, they said, quote, as the department continues to use new technology to enhance the investigation, it is actively reviewing genetic DNA testing processes to see if those can be applied to this case moving forward. So to date, there have been a thousand DNA samples analyzed, and they're hopeful that new improvement in DNA technology can potentially lead to something. As of December 2021, they've received over 21,000 tips, and the investigation is still marked as active and ongoing. And I'm with police. I am hopeful that DNA evidence will eventually implicate somebody in her murder. Yeah, me too. So... As I mentioned, going into this research, my theory was that Burke accidentally killed John Bonet and then the parents helped cover it up. I'm not fully convinced that isn't what happened, but I feel like the evidence against Burke isn't as strong as I initially thought it was, especially after I heard how his initial interview with police went. I'm just not as convinced. What I do think is that Patsy was involved in covering it up. Again, just my opinion. I'm not even 100% sure John was involved, especially because he found John Bonet so easily when looking. Like, he was a smart guy. I feel like if he knew where she was, he'd be smart enough to not just go straight there. But I do think Patsy was involved. I think whether or not she actually killed John Bonet, either intentionally or accidentally, she tried to cover up some sort of abuse, whether it be sexual abuse or physical abuse, accidental or not, and then tried to make it lo- look like a kidnapping with the ransom note and the nylon cord. I definitely think that she did have the ability to concoct this cover up. She was very good at portraying the perfect family, and you just never know what's going on behind closed doors. So, I'm not 100% convinced on who actually killed John Bonet, but most of me thinks it was a family member and that Patsy was at least part of the cover up. So, now it's your turn. <laughs> so, I have always, I mean, as long as I've been able to have an opinion, you know, I was like a small child when this all happened, but. <laughs> yeah. um, I've always thought that Patsy was involved. Um, I I never really thought that she intentionally, you know, sought out to murder her child. Yep. Um, But I do think that a series of unfortunate events led to Jean Benet's death and that she concocted a plan to cover it up. Yep. Just, again, my opinion there was a small period of time where I thought maybe um, she was covering it up to protect Burke. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, the evidence just wasn't there for me. Yep. But I think that the the bedwetting and the over cleaning of her genital area and just you know I think it was a frustrated parent I'm not saying we've all been there and like you know would go to like that extreme but like you said she liked to have this perfect persona and this perfect family yeah where everyone you know does what they're supposed to do and she was a pageant mom which 
no offense, but that brings on a whole other <laughs> yeah. level of, you know, stress and perfection. Yeah. And, um, and I, I've watched a lot of documentaries on, on this case and, and the handwriting experts, which again, that is very subjective, subjective for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I looked at like the comparisons and stuff and even I, with my like non- you know trained eye educated yeah. <laughs> like expert eyes yeah i was like yeah that she wrote that yeah and it just the inconsistencies in the note to me look like somebody wrote it trying to conceal their own handwriting yep and it just and all the evidence that they do have like it's very small yeah um but it just all points to her and like the fact she still had her makeup on and yeah, just just everything. It just okay. So something else that I determined or that I learned about from this podcast was that the way that like the rope was around Jambonet's neck, you wouldn't necessarily know that it would kill her, but because she had that head injury, it did. Because she had less oxygen because of the head injury. Okay. So I was even thinking, and I don't know, you know, as I did more research, I'm not so sure. But, like, Patsy could have accidentally hit her, hit her head, and then tried to cover it up, make it look like a kidnapping, not expecting her to be dead. Like, expecting her, them to find her and be like, oh my god, there she is, but she's okay. Right. But I think if that was the case... Patsy would have made it so that they found her earlier in the day. Yeah. Not at 1 p.m. So I I kind of went away from that. But I definitely think it's interesting. I definitely think I personally believe that Patsy was involved. And I honestly don't believe fully that John was involved. I don't. I don't either. I really don't. The only thing is that how could he have not heard anything? But maybe he had been drinking at the Christmas party and passed out. We don't know. And maybe she had been drinking, and that's why she was so quick to pop off. Yeah. And, you know, we, as I talked about, the the bottom clothing on JonBenet was all from downstairs, so maybe she didn't want to go upstairs to wake anybody up. Like... They had a large house. I mean, it's very possible. Yeah, it was like three stories, so... Yeah. So, yeah, he, he, I don't he know. He didn't hear anything, yeah. Exactly. But, all right, well, we're pretty much on the same page then. Yeah, um, I literally like when I, when we made part one of this, I was like eighty percent Burke did it, and now I'm like eighty percent Burke did not do it. Yeah, I I had like a fleeting, a very fleeting moment of question, like could he possibly have accidentally, you know, out of jealousy or whatever people try to, or propagate. just like pushed yeah. her or something. Like it could have yeah. been anything. But, but I was like, it just doesn't because. As a mother, like, as an actual mother, and, like, I know that I'm very different from this woman, but if that was the case, I immediately would have called 911. Right. Even if I accidentally did something, I would have immediately called 911. Right. Um, to me, it's just not worth the risk of losing your child. God. No. And, but knowing Patsy, you know, maybe, she, and maybe she didn't think that John Bonet was going to die at first because. Probably not. You know, she didn't know, but it just... But again, all alleged, nothing's been proven. And I think unless they can find more specific DNA evidence 
in like the underwear and be able to fully match that to Patsy, I don't know if they'd ever be able to prove it was her. Yeah. And she's no longer alive, so they couldn't even charge her. Yeah, I, I sadly I don't ever see this case coming to a conclusion. Um, Unless it's it really is an intruder and there's somebody else that they could match it to one day. That's the only way I see yeah. it ever coming to a conclusion. But I personally don't no see evidence. that theory. There's no yeah. evidence. I mean, they were saying like the window and then they were like, okay, well, the spider webs are still in the window. There's no yeah. footprint in the snow outside. Yeah. You know, there's no evidence of breaking it, breaking and entering or doors being unlocked. Nothing. Nothing. Right. So. No, there's really I just, nothing. I never i never believe that theory ever 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 yeah (sighs) but yeah that is the case of john benet ramsey um may her little soul rest in peace i just yeah 25 years ago i'm just about we're just about at the 25th anniversary so you know you just you never know with dna evidence it has caught multiple killers so you just never know um but hopefully she is resting peacefully and hopefully yeah i know it's like what do you say yeah yeah so thank you guys so much for listening i would love to hear your guys's thoughts on this so be sure to head over to our instagram we'll probably put up some story polls um asking you what you think and also you can like comment on the post You can also post in our Facebook group, which is Inhuman, a true crime podcast, because that's kind of more discussion based. I really want to hear your guys' thoughts because I feel like everyone has a different opinion and I'd love to hear it, especially if it's different from ours. Like, I won't, like, (laughs) come We're not going to argue with you. Yeah. Because, I mean, we we don't know. It's all believable to some extent. I mean, yeah. Really, you know, even like the the non family people. To some extent, I could yeah. I could get behind that theory, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd love to hear that. Um, if you guys enjoy our podcast, be sure to leave a rating and review. If you're listening on Spotify, you can now leave ratings, and we have uh, 29 people who have rated us already. So thank you. For we that. love you guys, and uh, be sure to do that if you haven't. And I hope you guys have a wonderful Christmas if you celebrate. Um, if you don't celebrate Christmas, I hope you are having a wonderful holiday season. Happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, happy yeah. nothing if you everything. Don't. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you on Monday with a super fun brand new episode. And until then, keep it human. Bye. Bye.